But the title of, of my sermon today, oops, connection lost. Say a little prayer that I can connect again. There we go. So we're, we're going to be in Romans. I guess you guys have been studying Romans, right? And uh, Sam would give me the, highs, uh, the, the heads up on that. And so I've, I, I've been looking at Romans 8, 31 to 39. We're going to be there uh, today. But as you, as you turn over there, let me... Um, i to do one more thing here, and I'll be ready to go with the new plan. Um, as you turn over there, th- this is a, a bit of an answer to a series of questions that Romans 8, 31 through 39 poses. And Paul, through this chapter, poses a series of rhetorical questions, and by answering them, end up leaving you with such a certainty of who you are in Jesus that it leaves you so excited that the conclusion to the matter that you're not just overcomers, you are more than conquerors. I mean, what's more than a conqueror, right? I mean, what's more than an Olympic champion? What's what's more than a you know kind of a, a, a general uh, who, who's had epic victories? Well, whatever that is that Paul's describing, this section of scripture leaves us with that depth of understanding and identity that we are more than conquerors. But the answer to these questions are interesting that that we're going to have to see here. But just to get you ready for this, there was a kind of a famous little riddle. And um, in the riddle went went something like this. And it was posed first to to kind of pre-primary kids. We call them kindergartners in the U.S. I guess you call them pre-primaries, right? And, And then it was also posed to Stanford University seniors. Now, 17% of the Stanford University seniors got this riddle correct. 80% of the pre-primary kids got it correct. Here was the riddle. What's greater than God, more evil than the devil, the poor have it, the rich don't need it, and if you eat it, you will die. Nothing is correct. So when I go like that to you, that's the sign. We're working this out live, and I get that it's not happy for them to see the sausage being made, but the finished product is going to be beautiful. So this is a sermon about nothing. So exciting. Why? Because it is the answer to every one of the four major rhetorical questions that Paul is about to ask. Now, here's what's interesting. As we kind of turn this little bit of a corner in Romans 8, you have spent the last few sermons probably having mind-blowing appreciations for the work of the Holy Spirit in your soul. And, And you recognize that it is a spirit that leaves you not as slaves, but but he is the spirit that allows you to cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who testifies with us to, to, to the world. The Holy Spirit is the one who testifies with our souls. The Holy Spirit is our advocate, advocating for us. The, the Holy Spirit quickens us, makes us alive. The Holy Spirit not only kind of brings us to faith, but he regenerates us to new life in Christ. The Holy Spirit is mind-blowing. And now this last section, which is also just astonishing, staccato, 
greater peaks of, of spiritual perspective that goes on here in the, in the letter to the Romans now doesn't even mention the Holy Spirit. And again, before I read, I just want to kind of really prepare us for that. And, and here's why. Because with everything that has just been described of the Holy Spirit, Paul now settles in with a bunch of questions to help you appreciate, and this is what the Spirit has done for you. The reason that he can describe what he describes here is because of what the Spirit has done for us. And so the Spirit nonetheless still permeates what we're about to read. Let's go ahead and turn over to Romans 8, verse 31. We're going to be looking at this passage, looking at this passage. So if you think I'm just going to kind of throw up some like cheats of, of Scripture up here, I'm not. I want you to open and really look at this passage and appreciate some of the most important affirmations of our identity collectively in Christ that the Bible gives us here. I'm going to read from the ESV. Why? It just happens to be the one that's open. All right. Here we go. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? What things? All this astonishing stuff that you just learned about glorification and justification and spirit of sonship, everything that just came before this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. Nothing, right? It's the rhetorical answer to the rhetorical question. You know, the first question being, who can oppose us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And who shall bring any charge against God's elect? No one. Right? That's the answer, of course. Nothing. Who is it that can accuse, successfully accuse? No one. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Again, no one. No one can condemn you. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, present tense, by the way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Again, no one, nothing. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written? And this is a quote from Psalm 44. One of those psalms that is like, God, where are you? God, where are you? We're living righteous and we're getting a beat down. God, what's going on? Why are you not at our side? It's one of those moments. And Paul would know that because he was in tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, Maybe nakedness, danger, and sword. He was in all of these. And so he knows. You know how certain psalms just speak to your soul at just the right time? Any of you ever have a boyfriend or girlfriend break up with you at any point in your life? Show of hands. Anyone? Anyone? Did you, did you notice that, 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 during that, period of, that during that period of time in your life, that somehow or another, all of the radio stations began playing breakup songs? I'm like, why, why are they playing them now? And how do they know? How do they know? Oh, killing me softly with his words, telling my whole life with his song. 
But the Psalms are like that while we're going through these difficult times. I got to get back on track. Verse 37. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what I want to do with this passage is tackle kind of the four big questions of, hey, who's, who's got anything that can take you down? And, and so with that, the, the first question is, who can oppose? Or the way that it's said here, who is it that can be against us? Who can bring opposition against us? And you know, nothing, nothing can. And, and here's the way, here's the way, in, in fact, that Paul explains it. He says, Jesus died for us and he rose for us. And more than that, he's going to give us all great things. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will, he, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's a, a massive gift that God has given you. But it doesn't just show that the gift is important or that you're important. It also shows that you've got God, Yahweh himself, backing you up. He is in your corner. He is your 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 oversight, your air cover in, in all things, even as it seems like some things are going awry, right? I mean, look at all the things that go awry for Paul here. Famine, nakedness, hunger, sword, all, all of this all come in his way. And yet with those experiences fresh in, in his resume, he's able to say, there is still none that can come against us. No one can oppose us. Why? He says, well, because look at how big the gift is that's coming our way and put it into perspective. God didn't spare his son. God lavished at that cost that kind of gifting to you. Well, then anything else that he's going through, he'd pay the price for that too. So it must be that what you're going through is not successful opposition to you. Sure, people may oppose you and people opposed me, Paul says, but not successfully. It's for a reason. Or, or, or let me use this as an example. Let's say that someone decides to just give you the gift of gifts. And, and they decide that, you know what? I am going to send you on an amazing world-class vacation. I'm sending you to Fiji. You're going to be in one of those huts over the water. And it's going to be sweet. But while you're there for two weeks, being wined and dined all on me, the reason that I'm sending you there is because back here in Perth, I am going to absolutely give you a home makeover of epic proportions. Over a million dollar budget, and what you're going to come back to is going to cause you to fall to your knees and sing hallelujah for, for, for what it is that just happened to your dream home. Now, let's say all of that happens, and and you, you go and you enjoy this time, you and your family, and you, you come back to Perth, and 
you know, you cut the ribbon, you open your, you're like amazed at all of the amenity. Everything's automated. Somebody's talking to you in the home and they're, you know, everything works and it's beautiful and everything's everything that you ever wanted and beyond is suddenly there and yours and it's tasteful and astounding. Wow. How about all that? But the toilet in the downstairs bathroom is leaking and it continues to run. And, you know, you kind of say to the contractor before he goes, oh, um, I, hate to, I hate to even bring it up. I mean, it's all so amazing. But maybe since you're still here and all the work crew is still here, do you think that, that maybe you could go ahead and just fix that, that, that leaking toilet? And he's, ah, oh, yeah, no, no, no worries, mate. And, he, you know, he makes a quick phone call to the, the benefactor who is, you know, kind of taking care of all of this. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's leaky toilet. Yeah, I, you know, I figured, you know, since we just put in a million dollar budget that this $17 fix uh, and and the word comes back. No. I'm sorry. No. Now, if that were the case, you'd have to think it's not the money. There must be a reason Like there must be a reason why there's not intervention on the $17 when there was a willingness to have intervention on the vacation of vacations, as well as this home and all of that goes with it. That, that maybe there's something more that the benefactor wants for you to be able to experience. And that somehow or another, this is a continuation of giving you good gifts. Right? Your, your existence has been suddenly upgraded and, and set up well, but maybe this is for your growth. Maybe this is for some sort of an expansion or responsibility or something on you. And, and I think this is what, what Paul is saying here. If you're feeling like, man, oh man, the world is against me and things are going my way, wrong way, what is all of this? No, 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 no. God has already paid a price well beyond the renovation of a home. He paid the price through the death of his own very own loved son. He paid that price. Certainly he could kind of pay the price of rearranging a little bit more, but he's decided not to because that is actually going to be for your great benefit. And in his brilliance and in his benefaction, he's seeing you refined to be the person that you were always meant to be. You may say, but no, 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 this is not a leaking toilet. Like, this is a family member and it is heartbreaking. And why could this be? And you know, if any of you have been around on this earth for 20, 30, 40, I'm not assuming anything here, 50, 60 years, you, you've gone through a few things, well beyond leaky toilets. But you know what? If those things are sufficiently in your rearview mirror, if they happen to be 10, 20 years in your rearview mirror, you also realize, wow, I was like, doing the Psalm 44 to God. Where are you, God? What's going on? Why do you allow this? But now, now I see. Now I see who we've all become as a result of this. And I, and I know just, you know, the silly platitudes of, well, God works all things together for good are not enough at times. But, but I think this should be very helpful. He did not spare his own son for you. And he's going to continue to graciously give you all things. And even what you're going through now, that is still him. Hold on to it, is graciously giving you all things. He gave the big thing. Know that 
he's also continuing to give you all things. Who can oppose? No one. No thing. You got God. You got him as your benefactor. You got him as your bodyguard. Let's go on to the next question. Who, see how seamless that was? Liking it. Uh, who can accuse? Right? Here's this. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? And, and why, why does he kind of put it that way? Who can accuse? Because he answers it with, again, no one. No one can, can bring a charge. No one can accuse because it is God who justifies. Now, that's a, that's a pretty big word there, justify. And I actually grew up, even in our family of churches, with a kind of a working definition. I'm going to move this over just a little bit. There we go. I, I grew up with, with a working definition of justify as this. And maybe you've heard this. Maybe you can finish the sentence for me. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Wrong. Why? Here, let me, let me kind of explain. Go ahead, jump to the next slide. So there are two words that we see differently in the English language, but if you were reading it in the Greek, you wouldn't see them differently at all. And in this word, it is God who justifies, right here in verse uh, 33, is absolutely the same word. And you can go to the next slide as well. I mean, go to the next uh, build. So the two words, and I've, I've kind of transliterated the Greek words, dikaio and dikaiosune. Dikaio is justified. Dikaiosune is righteousness. Now, righteousness is not a subtraction operation in your life. Righteousness is an addition operation in your life. And so for you to be made righteous or justified, as you can see there, same word. Same word in the Greek. It's almost, I mean, there, there's, it doesn't make sense in the English, but justify is to make righteous. Or it could be, if such a word wasn't so awkward, he righteousnessified you. All right? But again, awkward. Justified is to be made righteous. Justified is not just to take away your mess. Justified is to add the righteous record of holiness that Jesus established while on earth. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That isn't just, righteous doesn't mean you're just without sin. Righteous means that you are with a performance record that opens doors in all the right places. So when you were made new, when as 1 Corinthians 6 says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the very work of the Holy Spirit of God. When, when that operation occurred, it wasn't just simply a removal of sins. Earlier, you were just studying out Romans 4. And at the very end of Romans 4, it says Christ died for your sins. That's a subtraction operation. But he rose for your, anybody remember? He rose for your justification. Christ died for your sins, but he rose for your justification. He took away your sins, but he gave you his righteousness. And so who is it that can accuse you? 
You are the man. You are the woman. You walk this world like a boss. You stride this earth with the performance record of Jesus himself. A performance record that opens the doors in all the right places. A performance record that causes the angels to crane their necks to watch you as you walk on by. That's the majesty, the honor, the dignity that attends to you. You have been clothed with this magnificence that is yours. So let's say in, in the U.S. we have the Army and the Navy. We live in a, in a big naval base. But for this illustration, let's say there's a private in the Army who ends up getting busted for treason. That is a capital offense. You can die for that in the U.S. if, if you're treasonous. And so he, he waits. He, he goes to the brig. He gets ready for the, the, the martial court. And while he's in, in the court martial, in the process of all of that, there's intervention. And I don't want to get into the kind of the details to, to press the analogy too far, but let's just say word comes back to him that he has been cleared of all charges. That's forgiveness. That's not justification. That's simply forgiveness. His record has been wiped clear. But then as he's getting ready to be processed and let out of the brig, out of the, the prison system in the army, they hand him his uniform. His, he was Private Jones, and they hand him a uniform, and instead of having just the little insignia of a private, he sees the uniform, four stars. The highest rank that one can attain in the army outside of military combat. Four-star general. And, and he's like, whoa, Private Jones is suddenly like, well, if I put that on, they're going to throw me back in here again impersonating an officer. Uh, no, 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 no. They call the base commander. They call every. It, it makes its way through all channels. He gets a phone call saying, there is no mistake here. What we decided in that court was not just to expunge and forgive all that you've done, but we've also decided to give you this honor, this performance record as well. And he puts it on and he walks out. And sure enough, everybody's like, you know, falling all over themselves, saluting him. There's a, a car that comes to pick him up. It is a big black stretch car with two, two little American flags on the front flying. Somebody opens the door. People are serving him at every corner. And, and, and all of a sudden, he understands the big difference between just being forgiven and really being made righteous. So your justification is just as if I... Go ahead and hit it one more time. Just as if I'd cleansed the lepers, fed 9,000. Just as if I'd healed the daughter, prayed all night, walked by faith, liberated demoniacs, healed paralytics, gave sight to the blind, washed feet in humility, and laid down your life. You walk this earth with that addition operation, not just the subtraction operation. It's so easy to walk around accused saying, I don't get grace, I don't get grace. Well, sure, if grace is just simply, I got a subtraction operation, and now I am just loading up sin again, well, of course you're going to kind of feel uneasy about that. But there's a massive difference between the full picture of grace. He died for your sins and he rose for your justification. There's a massive difference between just forgiveness and justification, being made righteous. He himself, he bore your sins on the cross so that you might be made the righteousness of God. And so you are. If you are a new creation in Christ, 
you have no one that can bring that charge against you because, again, you walk this earth like a boss with the, the performance record, the honor, the dignity that is impossible to even begin to measure. And if you could just get a peek from the heavenly realms down on Perth and to see what they see when they see all of you walking around, my goodness, how we would probably gasp that that is how wonderful I am in the eyes of those who really have the, the spiritual insight to know it. All right. Who can oppose? Who can accuse? Next question. And who can condemn? Again, the question is asked in verse 34, who can condemn? And then it goes on to say, Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right of hand of God, and who is indeed interceding for us. I love this picture of Jesus. It doesn't just talk about his death, and I think we understand that and we celebrate that, or even his resurrection, but there's one more aspect to Jesus's life that is really important. He didn't just get, you know, kind of incarnate Christmas. He didn't just die Good Friday. He didn't just resurrect Easter. He also ascended ascended 40 days after that and the ascension is incredibly important because there are well many things but two big things that happen on the ascension jesus says if i ascend i will then send to you the holy spirit and he will activate you and off you go but there's one other thing that he does when he ascends he ascends to stand in the divine council and present as advocate you and to argue your case successfully before God, no matter what your sin is. This says he didn't intercede. He is interceding right now for you. Like that very thought when you said, all right, this is the third point. Oh, I hope this is a three-point sermon. Oh, he said something about four questions. Oh, no, is this four questions? So that's sin that's going on inside of you right now. I, I get it. You probably are feeling like, oh my goodness, am I even a Christian that I would think such a thing? I mean, here he is coming from America, just trying to serve us, just trying to love us. A nice guy up there, what in the world? But here I'm having such wicked thoughts against him. Wow, well, guess what? Jesus is interceding for you right now. And not just for that, but here's the big deal. It's one thing if he's interceding for you and it's a long shot that maybe he can you know, get, get, you, uh, get, get your, your, your case expelled. But you're not a long shot. It is justice that he is demanding. Why? Because Jesus is before God right now on your behalf, on the 17 Sams that are in the audience right now. And he's saying, you know, I get it, God. Sam is a miserable man. He knew your will, and he went against it again and again and again. The darkness of his heart, as he decided to callous his heart with the repetition of that type of transgression, oh, unspeakable, and yes, repugnant in, in, in this hall. But nonetheless, God, what he has done has been paid for. It demands justice, and justice has been satisfied. 
And so I'm here arguing on Sam's behalf, not for mercy, but for justice. Because the only just thing to do is to recognize that he has met the demands of justice. And so he stands honored. He stands without charge. He stands a free man, no longer a slave to sin, but now one who is willingly and excitedly out of gratitude, one who is now a slave to righteousness. His bill has been paid in full. There's a, uh, there's a, there's a great hymn, and the, the band Jars of Clay has it on their album, Redemption Songs. And I, I would listen to it, listen to it, and I never really appreciated it, but then it kind of came to mind, and it's a, a hymn by John Newton, who, who also wrote Amazing Grace. And, and, and this is the middle lyric. Let us wonder, grace and justice, join and point to mercy's store. When through Christ, when through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. With Jesus as your advocate, Jesus as your lawyer, your personal counselor, advocating for you, Justice smiles and asks no more. There is no condemnation for you. Because as John 1, I believe 14 says, you have received grace upon grace already given. And that beating of the waves, that constant cleansing of wave of grace upon wave of grace leaves you with no condemnation because your payment has been a once-for-all payment that you need never be concerned about again. And so you stride this earth with that conscience cleared of all that had absolutely undermined it before. And the last question. This is a very intimate one. What can separate us? And again, the answer is nothing. The concern here in verse 35, who shall or what shall separate us from what the love of Christ? And he goes on to talk about all the things that might make you doubt love. I'm in a shipwreck. I'm in distress. I'm being persecuted. They're killing me. Uh, still loving me here? And Paul emphatically is, there's no separation no matter what it is that you're going through. There's no separation. You have a life of love, and you live as one who is loved. Think about all those early Christians who even died of persecution death. Do you think at the end of their life they thought, wow, I think I would have liked to have lived a quieter life? Or do you think they at the end said, I really lived life as uh, an American what uh, once wrote, I, I lived life, I, I, I drank deeply from the stuff of life. I broke open the bones and sucked the marrow out of life. Right? I mean, that's, that's like really living. Henry David Thoreau said that. That's really transcendentalist. That's really living. It's, it's just living life to the full. Why? That's how you live when you're loved. 
And how do you know that you're loved? Well, when God tells Israel they're loved in Deuteronomy 7, I'll read this to you, but I'm going to read from verse 6. God says to them when they're kind of having the same question, uh, there's no water, there's no food, we're walking in circles, uh, you really loving us? And God says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it is not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of people. So what's the reason? I love it. But it is because the Lord loves you. Why does God love you? Because, ready for this? He loves you. And by the way, Valentine's Day I know just came and went, and I know we get probably pretty good about saying, you know, I love you for this and I love you for that. But sometimes we have to be a little bit careful about that. Or maybe even with our kids. You know, I, I, I love you because you have such grit. Well, what if you no longer have grit? I love you because you're so beautiful. I love you when I see the, the light dance in your hair the way that it does. Debbie told me that at one point in time. <laughs> you don't want to hear that if this is where you end up. There's no dancing. There's no light off of follicles. There's just a blinding beam that comes off of the pate. Right? That's, that's all that's left. Right? You don't want God to love you because you're so humble. You don't want God to love you because you're so earnest or pious. You know why you want God to love you? Because he loves you. You want to be awkwardly questioning this whole relationship. But to just let it land with, he loves me because he loves me. Wow, that is a beautiful place to live. That means that there's no performance, no hoops through which to jump that suddenly will continue to earn that love. Sure, there's ways that we kind of please one another, and that's always the case, and that's wonderful, but know that the rock-solid baseline that will never be separated is he set his affections on you, he chose you, and he loved you not because of anything you've done. He just loves you because he loves you. And he has brought you out of this world and brought you into this relationship and showered you with all gifts because he loves you. Now, this is an important thing. If that's the case, if, if, it, if it really is the case that no one can, no one can oppose you, no one can accuse you, no one can condemn you, no one can separate you, well, then here's the end of the matter. It says, no, in all these things, verse 7, 37, no, in all these things, more than conquerors, through him who loved us. It's love that makes you more than a conqueror. For I am sure that neither life, death, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're living right now with bitterness or anxiety, you know what? You don't believe you're loved. You don't believe you're loved with a magnificent love from someone other than God. 
If you were showered with blessing, and let's use the analogy of you are a billionaire. You're a billionaire. You go to McDonald's, right? You're, I'm a billionaire. I got it going on. You go to McDonald's, and they said, oh, that, uh, that'll be uh, $3.75. And you think you're handing them a $5 bill, but you actually are handing them a $50 bill. And they give you change. They give you change for a $5 bill. But you handed them a 50. And they probably thought, yeah, he's probably, it's $3. Why would he hand me $50? Right? But do you have $50 bills here? Okay, fair enough. We do too. Hey. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, you hand them, you hand them a $50 bill and they give you change for a five. Afterwards, as you're kind of, you know, going down the road with your, your happy meal, uh, you're, you're tempted to not be happy because you realize, whoa, I got change for a five, not a 50. You're a billionaire. So you know what you say to yourself? Ha, 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 I'm a billionaire. So what? I got a Happy Meal and I got a billion dollars. Sure, I got like $47 less than the billions that I had before, but I'm a billionaire. And you're loved by God. Sure, somebody slighted you at work. Sure, that, that didn't go the way that you, sure, you were discouraged. Sure, you were distressed. But you're a billionaire. You're loved by God. And, and a lot, I think, of what ails us is that we're living as though we are not loved. Believe and know that you're loved. It's the very thing that the Holy Spirit is wanting to stir inside of you. It's everything that we read in the chapter earlier, that you're not a slave, you're a son, a daughter. You can cry out, Abba, Father, you have that access. Live as if you're loved. If you're living, if you're not living as if you're loved, so much can get in there. But if you live as if you're loved, my goodness, what is it that you wouldn't do? You're loved. You're loved by the most precious love that there is. So what? if any of these things happen, any of these things that are listed in this chapter. And so let me give you this final charge here. This is the more than conqueror charge. More than conqueror charge because you are the most loved people that could even be imagined on earth. Here's my charge to you. Conquer. Conquer. By the way, that more than conqueror word is in, in, uh, in Greek, the word for conquer is Nike. That's why the shoe brand took, took it on. It, Nike means conquer. And, and by, Nicola is here, right? Where's Nicola? Where, where is She's downstairs. Okay. So Nicola's name means conqueror. She's got a cool name. But, but, but anyway, the, the word for, for more than conqueror in this passage is hyper Nike. So you're not just Nike. You are hyper Nike. And what makes you like hyper, and that's literally the Greek word, Hooper Nike. You, you are, you are hyper Nike. And, and, and with that, what are you to do with that? Go. Go live your life. Go interact with one another. Go pour yourself out. Go give yourself away. Go make a difference. Go conquer as if you are loved. Live your days as if you are loved. Let the Holy Spirit reinforce that to you. Take time to slow down and let the Holy Spirit cause you to appreciate how loved you are. And when you do, you bust out of that contemplation, ready to go forth and conquer as people who are loved. Amen.